Hello and welcome back to the Chinwag podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, I am. I am one of your hosts, Paul Giamatti, and I and am Stephen Asma. Yes, indeed. the other host. <laughs> yes, the other host. There's two of us. Isn't that nice? There's two of us: Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> Tweedledumber. <laughs> In my case, Tweedle super dumb. We're very excited. We have a really, really wonderful guest today. We're going to be talking to yeah. a, an astronaut. Uh, Mike man. Massimino, yes, a spaceman, the spaceman. Uh, Mike Massimino, who is uh, one of the few people to have actually walked in space. Yeah, he, uh, I think he, gets, he was like a record holder uh, in terms of walking oh, in he? space. Yeah, I believe it in was. Terms of the, yeah, that and, crew and, was like the highest number of hours actually walking around outside in space. That's right. So he did the he did the extravehicular activity, as it's called, the EVA. Yes, and uh, he's one. Of, he's the first person to tweet from space. <laughs> which is a, which I think is a dubious distinction. <laughs> but he ordered a pizza. He ordered a pizza from space. <laughs> That's right. He's a man who ordered a pizza from space. He's a really interesting, wonderful guy. We're going to be talking to him. But uh, you know, on the subjects of sort of tweets and social media and stuff like yes, that, yes, which uh, I know you're always, a big fan of. Say, yeah, as always, please, please, uh, please journey over to the Apple uh, Apple Pod. Uh, uh, am I saying that right? Uh, I suddenly had a brain I think fart. People know what, what am I saying? People know what you mean. People <laughs> suddenly, know what you mean. Though. Suddenly, the everything ample. just went. Man, everything just went fucking sideways in my head there for a second. Wham! Holy cow! You know where to go and, yeah. and give us uh, give us some nice ratings, etc. Give us some love. Uh, give us the five yeah, stars if you would. Yeah. Rate yeah, us, but and, also you know Instagram, TikTok. We're on all that stuff. So please head yeah, over. Yeah, are there we really? Oh, sign we're up. on all of that stuff, aren't we? I think we are. And send us letters so, too. Yeah, send us letters, send us questions, send us hard-hitting observations. Yeah, tell us what we could do better. Tell us how we could be better. No, I'm just kidding. We could, we've gotten some great we've gotten some great comments though like on the YouTube channel where we mm -hmm. have the animations, we get good comments, they're really fun to read and we're starting to respond to these now. Paul and I are actually mm -hmm. recording responses, so if you yep. write in, it's likely that we we may yeah. well uh, respond to them. We too. will definitely address it cuz there's all kinds of interesting stuff coming in. Um, now to, 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 to move on to the important business. Indeed, we speak today to Mike Massimino. He is also, he is a professor of mechanical engineering at, at Columbia. Columbia University. Yes, that's right. He's the uh, senior advisor for the, uh, for the Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum. He runs the space programs at the Intrepid yeah. Museum here in New York City. Have you ever been there? I've not been there. No, is it cool? You know what? It, it's really cool. You know, it's a I've it's heard an of it, aircraft but I been carrier. There. Mike is a very good writer, and he has written uh, this book, uh, "Spaceman: uh, An Astronaut's Unlikely Journey to Unlock the Secrets of the Universe." And he's got an upcoming title called "Moonshot: A NASA Astronaut's Guide to Achieving the Impossible." Highly recommended. And he's a really amazing, awesome guy. But uh, here, here he is uh, on our chinwag, former astronaut, Mike Massimino Paisan. How are you? I'm doing all right, Paul. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very good. I'm very good. It's nice to meet you. Very nice Likewise. to meet Thanks you. Thanks for doing oh, this. Great. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah. It's great to be with you guys. Well, thank, and, uh, thank you very much. Really nice to meet you. Are you, are you, likewise. I'm going to ask you this and I'm totally serious. Are you the first Italian American to go into space or are you? No. Or there, have there, uh, uh, you weren't the first. No, there were, there were, no, there were not, the, there was not many, I don't think for a while. 
people. And then I noticed when I when I when I started thinking about applying to be an astronaut, I had this little boy dream. I can remember Neil Armstrong on the moon, mm-hmm. and that's what I wanted to do. But when I started to really think about it, like after college, I looked into the astronauts, and there was this one guy named Mario Runco. It gave me a glimmer <laughs> of hope. So Mario <laughs> Runco, his mother's in the bios, they give you a lot of info. His mother's name was Philomena. His mo- I think wow. his first name was Mario. He grew up in the Bronx. He was a oh, cop. Fantastic. For a while. Excellent. That's he great. He was a New Jersey he was a cop? trooper really? for a little while after college. Then he joined the Navy, and then one thing led to another. And he, you know, he he you know he had a very good career in the Navy and became an astronaut. But when I saw a guy named Mario Runco from the Bronx became a NASA astronaut, <laughs> it gave me hope. <laughs> Absolutely. So, That's fantastic. Yeah. No, I think of Mario Runco. I got to look him up. That's fantastic. Mar- he's quite a character. Are there, are there a yeah. lot of, and I'm going to get serious in a minute, yeah, but sure, I do want to ask you. No, he's this. not. Yeah. Is, I, no, I will. I will. <laughs> but are there, I know, is there an Italian space program? There must be, right? Oh, there sure is. No, the, the Italians, there's, uh, they have their own. So the European Space Agency mm-hmm. is a conglomerate of all the, uh, the participating in the space program countries of Europe. And one of the big participants is is Italy, and they have their own. Uh, they ha- there is an Italian. There is the Italian Space Agency, and they have lots, lots. I mean, relatively speaking, compared to the United States, they don't have many, but they certainly right. have. Uh, you know, they always have a couple in the in the fold there. One of my astronaut classmates, Umberto Guidoni, an Italian astronaut, was in my astronaut yeah. class. Uh, Luca Parmitano was the first Sicilian. <laughs> I would say he was. Oh. Because my family is from Sicily, so he's like, I don't uh, know. Okay. So not even the first, but he's a non-as-to-goodness Italian citizen, an Air Force officer in the military there, and he's from Sicily. Samantha Cristoforetti's another one who flew recently. So those two have uh-huh. been doing really, flown multiple times on the space station. Oh, yes. So, yes. I've seen, I think Italy has I've their seen own. her. Yeah, she's terrific. Yeah, I've but, seen that. Yeah. What about, uh, you know, the, there's the Italian space program, but then, mm-hmm. and it's all lumped together, presumably under the European banner. Is it like yep. the Germans are really good at this? You know, the Italians are really good at this. We're going to divide it up the work. The Italians well, are the Italians making the food? Are the Italians yeah, who's doing who the cooking? Yeah, you know, doing kind the of thing. No, we try to stay away <laughs> yeah. from those things because that okay. can get us in yeah. trouble. Yeah, can it, when we right. start sure. doing yeah. those things. But yes. no, the German, the uh, they're all really good. The astronauts that that uh, come from uh, from the European countries are are great. As the Japanese astronauts and all all the folks we work with, all the government astronauts. They go through a, a similar selection process that we do in the States. And the hardest thing about becoming being an astronaut is becoming an astronaut, getting getting picked yeah. by your government to do this. There's so many people that want to do it. But uh, no, the Germans are really good, though. I had, you know, they're really, you know, they're really good with a checklist. I had one of my friends say <laughs> they will follow the checklist. Get, you know, get that guy on. And we had this one, one guy, one astronaut that happened to be a, a German astronaut who was really good with the checklist, would never make a mistake. Well, you know, like I'd be looking at the checklist and I'd be like, all right, good enough. Let's go. And he'd be like, no, we have a few more steps to go. So, yeah, I don't know if that was a cultural thing or what. Man, just, That's great. Yeah, That's I, very funny. Yeah, there are certainly there. Yeah, there are certain things that, uh, yeah, you that know, like the Chinese wanted to, you know, they can help us with an espresso maker. There is a lot of that. You know, where you, um, you know, all the you, jokes. Can't, you can't. Culture you can't. comes into it. Yeah, these are. You sure, know, I'm sure. All the culture. I'm we, sure. York, you know, and what we have in New York uh-huh. and pizza. Like, how come we can't get pizza in space? I actually ordered a pizza <laughs> from space for landing day. There was a place called Abatino's. Oh that my doesn't God, that's great. Anymore. But they, they made like New York pizza down in, they came, I think the guy was from Court Street in Brooklyn. And he opened really? up a place in Florida. 
And then it, sure. and I went out of business. I was there with my son a few years ago. The place isn't there anymore. But I ordered from the space from the space shuttle to get the pizza. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. We yeah. needed. So, That's fantastic. Yeah, your, your culture think, certainly comes to it. I think I know the Italian place on Court Street. I think I know the guy on Court Street, that 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 pizza place. Yeah, also, it's Michael's of Brooklyn. Are you familiar with Michael's of Brooklyn, the restaurant? We're giving plugs left and right here. But Michael's, <laughs> Michael's of Brooklyn is a restaurant and bakery. I, I flew biscotti from, from, oh. that, from that bakery in space. I know them. I'm friends. I, I have heard of it. Yes, oh. I've definitely heard of it. Yeah, could, was like it possible? Mm-hmm. Was it po- yeah. yeah, Marine Park? Is that is it possible yeah. to uh to rig up an espresso maker in space? They have tried. It's uh, the biggest issue is is getting the the water out at the right pressure. Espresso <laughs> requires high pressure, and so my friend Don Pettit has been working on this for years. We're really getting down uh-huh. to the nitty gritty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, this <laughs> is this is how the show works. <laughs> this is the show, but yes, yeah. but it is interesting. The guy, uh, this the Sicilian the Sicilian cop who becomes an astronaut. This is, yep. this is fa- this is fascinating to me because you talk about a guy um, I can't remember his name right now in your book, which is a great. This is an amazing book, by the way. Yeah. Oh, I'm thank, not, you. I, thank you. I'm not a big reader of memoirs and stuff like that, and I this was it's so immediate feeling. You make it so yeah. accessible feeling, and like and thank you. Uh, the the sense of really being there is extraordinary. It's really cool, and it's like it's really palpable, and and not like anything else I've ever read. Thank and, you. And I'm your your story is amazing. You. Your, no, yes. no, and, and yeah. your story is amazing. Um, but I I can't, I can't remember the fellow's name. Drew something. I think Drew who was Foistel. an auto mechanic. Who's an auto yeah, mechanic Drew. who became yeah. And I well, that's yeah. remarkable to me though that because in I think in everybody's mind it's like mm-hmm. well you got to start out on a track obviously yeah. from from high school you must be. Doing mm-hmm. already mechanical but, but clearly, engineering, you know, yeah, that's what you assume yeah. is. Oh, all going to be engineers. That's the assumption. Right. Yeah, that's that's the way. We, and there are people like that. I mean, we do have astronauts who said at age three, "I want to be an astronaut," and they checked all the boxes and they became a, a military test pilot and did all the things you might think traditionally to become an astronaut. I think a lot of us, though, uh, for whatever reason, if you really thought about it, by the time I was like eight years old. I was like, there's no way I'm going to become Neil Armstrong. I was afraid of heights. I still don't like heights, by the way. And I, I, I just didn't see myself growing up to be this fearless test pilot like my, my hero, Neil Armstrong. So I kind of cut it off, kind of crossed it off the list of possibilities. And it wasn't until I was in, uh, in college that I started, I went to see this movie called The Right Stuff, which was about the, is it Tom Wolfe's book, based on Tom Wolfe's book. And it got me thinking again. But in Drew's case, it, it's not that unusual. In Drew's case, he was, uh, by his own admission, kind of a marginal student in high school and uh, went to community college and uh, worked on cars. He still works on cars. He's amazing. Wow. He can, re- he can rebuild a car. He can restore old vintage cars. And that's what he thought he was going to do. And along the way, he took a, a, a class on rocks and found out that he had a passion for geology, of all things, and ended up getting his bachelor's degree from Purdue in ge- geology and then went on to get a PhD in geology. So yeah, a lot of what you might consider non-traditional paths to 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 getting there. I, I have a question about this too, because uh, one of the things that you talk about is, I think if you see like Apollo 13 and you see a mm-hmm. lot of uh, astronaut films, and then in reading your book, you see how you really have to understand math and know electrical engineering. But then a lot of these guys you talk about have like even graduate degrees in things like literature and, and in the humanities. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking like, maybe this helps when you have to kind of improvise. This is just my guess. 
Like, because you have to, you, you memorize stuff and you become really competent, but then shit goes sideways and yep. you have to really improvise. And I'm wondering if this variety of education helps you then be a good improviser. I, I think so. I think it's just uh, it's being able to work as a team and understand you're not going to get it right the first time. And, and the variety of, of personalities and skills is what's important, too. Um, I flew in space with Drew, who was a geologist. I also flew in space with Megan MacArthur, who is an oceanographer. Uh, Rick Linehan is a, is a veterinarian. He loved animals as a oh, little wow. kid and decided to become a veterinarian, but also wanted to go to space. And I think what's interesting about what you're saying in a, in a different direction, maybe, is you look at what I, I teach at Columbia now, and and what I see happening in education is there's an appreciation in the technical fields for what happens in the natural world and what happens in 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 art as well. And art is a big part of it. It's a way to express yourself. It's a way to come up with creative ideas. So I think you're on to something there. I think we're realizing that that being too pointy in one direction yeah. is not yeah. necessarily a good thing. Well, it was interesting in you talking about yourself being selected that you, in some ways, it felt like one of the reasons you were selected was your personality, was your gregariousness, your ability to be sort of, was your friendliness actually, and your amiability and your flexibility like that was actually a big reason. In some ways you thought almost the biggest reason maybe. I think so, probably because I couldn't think of any other reason why they'd want. <laughs> you know what else? Is, is there, you know, but I, I do think that that you know, everyone comes with, uh, with 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 different different skills. But I I do think the ability to get along, and uh, to kind of make light of a situation when it's kind of dire, uh, when to try to get through it. I think that 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 was helpful. I mean, that's why you you just reminded of a story. There was a French a French astronaut, Michel Tonini who was, uh, when I was a new astronaut, we were in the same uh, department. We were working on a robotics project together. And he was telling me about putting a crew together and how you need personalities. And he goes, you can only have one funny guy, Mike, on a crew. I go, really? <laughs> There's only one, you need one funny guy. But you only can have one funny guy. If you have two funny guys, then it becomes like a gang and it falls apart. So you need at least one funny guy, but only one. So, uh, he's absolutely just, right, though. He's, he's completely right. right. You know, no, yeah, he's totally know. right. Yeah. You don't want guys competing, competing in some for, yeah, right, silly way and then it like, gets out of control. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of overlaps. And I want I I to ask you something else first. But there yeah. were lots of ways. And when I was reading your book in which I felt there was an overlap, and I'm, I'm serious, between being an actor and being an astronaut, there's a lot of focus on you. You need to be able to work with everybody well, but you need to be able to stand out. You need to be a kind of public face of this thing. You need yeah. to have an inner life that's important. It's like yeah. a lot of it kind of oddly and like almost like um, like a dramaturgy, like of putting a play together. It's like putting a crew together and a performance. Yeah. It's like, and, and so the psychological screening must be amazing. And it's like auditioning. Even when you were talking about having to go in and do these exams and then the stuff with your eyes, which I'd like to talk about, yeah. which was mm -hmm. how you, you dealt with your eyes. But yeah. it also it all reminded me of auditioning and acting and stuff like that. It, it was really funny. There are there are, I think, a lot of similarities, Paul. And I've had a chance to do it to be shown a little bit of the side of things in Hollywood. I was on the Big Bang Theory a few times. And that's where yeah. I really thought I there's a real parallel there in many ways. It's interesting what you said about the instruction because that's what I was told by the directors there is that I've, you know, through my life, I've been taking instruction as an astronaut. You're kind of told to do it. You know, you're not, yeah. this is how you do it. And you have to be able to take criticism. Like, Hey, yes, that yeah. wasn't yes. so good, yeah. you know? And especially like in the space business, like, yeah, it could lead to something really bad if you do that again. And so, <laughs> yeah. so yes. instruction is really important and you're not going to take it personally. And you're looking, feed me, yes. you know, tell me how I can be better. 
And now, a very special commercial interruption. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. And we're back. Another thing that's interesting, and I know, Steve, you wanted to ask this, is that part of all of this with the personality stuff is being able to handle the overview effect, which is yeah. this kind of like this sense of what's actually happening to you and going on. Right, Steve? I well, mean, we, like yeah, this, we had the yeah. we had the good fortune to interview William Shatner and oh, it yeah. cracks me up, you know, just as an aside, it makes me yeah. laugh that he's like super famous for playing an astronaut and you're a real yeah. astronaut and you're, you're not as famous as him. Yeah. That just William makes me Shatner, laugh. But, you know, yeah, yeah, Shatner. But anyway, <laughs> he different. said yeah. when he went into space, you, you like set records for being out in space and he just went for a very short time, but he said that he had this kind of feeling like they called it the overview effect, but it seems like it's a kind of cosmic nihilism. Like you look out into space and it's almost like not depressing, but you feel like it's meaningless out there. But then you look at the, at earth and you feel like that's where everything meaningful happens. And you talked a little bit about this. Did you get that dark, like creepy feeling too, or was it just, you're too damn busy moving the Hubble, you know? Yeah. Or I was, I mean, we were busy, but, um, we, you know, we did have time to reflect on it, certainly inside of the cabin, looking out the window when we had time off. During spacewalks, it was more like stealing moments, but those are the most meaningful because you're not looking through a window. The whole, it's, it's like being, looking through the window, let's say out at the playground, and all of a sudden you go outside and the whole sky opens up. Yeah. So going out on the spacewalk, the whole universe seems to open up on you and you can look anywhere, anywhere you want. And um, for me, I, I didn't, to, to, to answer the question, I, I did not have any dark feelings. I had the wondrous feelings of how lucky we are to, to be here. The, yeah. the, I, I thought I was looking into an absolute paradise. When I looked at our planet, it was like I was seeing it for the first time, which I was from space, but I was seeing it in a different way. I was looking at it, I felt like this is what heaven must look like. We're, we're, we're living in heaven. This No place can be as beautiful as this. And the other thing was this sense of home. My, my sense of home changed going around the planet and looking at earth. I, I felt like, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up just outside of Queens in, uh, in Franklin Square is the town I grew up in. And that was my world until I went to college. And then probably sometime between college and grad school, whatever, I started identifying as a New Yorker. And then as an astronaut, you know, I was, I felt like, oh, I'm an American, I'm representing my country. But now when I think of home, I think of earth. Like, it's interesting because because, I mean, as you're saying, like, this overview effect thing and there's a kind of cosmic mm -hmm. nihilism, that's one yeah. way of it affecting you, which is mm -hmm. I'm insignificant and small and, oh, my God, like, nothing means anything. Or what yeah. you're saying, Mike, that it's like this overwhelming sense of of beauty and, and yeah. grandeur and stuff. But yeah. the interesting thing to me is even that, I would think, could affect you in a way that oh, you yeah. come back. Yeah. I know this is the thing with me. If I went out there and I saw that, I don't know that I'd be able to readjust if I came back here. I wonder if guys yeah. have a hard time, they come back and then, I mean, especially the guys who walked on the moon. I've yeah. always thought to myself, yeah. how do you come down from, literally, how yeah. do you come down from that? And I mean, the extraordinary strength of mind 
to not be negatively or not negatively affected, mm-hmm. but not be so overwhelmed you can't readjust is amazing mm-hmm. to me because I would think that could be a real problem. Uh, it's like, so part of what I'm asking here too is imagination. How much is imagination important in what you do? Because mine would run away with me, I think. And it's like, or, or and I imagine some people's can. The guys on the moon. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll give you two stories if you don't mind. Okay. No, please, John please. Young, you guys remember no, no, no. John Young? You guys know who John Young is? I know the name. I know the okay. name. So yeah. John Young, John Young was on Apollo 16. Okay. He was on the very first Gemini flight. He was in the second group of astronauts selected. He was on the very first Gemini flight with Gus Grissom. Uh, uh-huh. that name rings a bell. Then he flew on another Gemini mm-hmm. flight. He flew on Apollo, flew Apollo 10, went to the moon, orbited, did not land, walked on the moon on Apollo 16. So he's one of the 12 guys to walk on the moon. He's also the first commander of the space shuttle and then flew another space shuttle mission. And when I arrived at NASA, he was in his late 60s, still an active astronaut, still flying in the T-38. And here's my boyhood hero. And I, you know, I, you know, he asked me to go flying with him one day. And we went out to California on a couple hops and we're coming back. And I finally got up the nerve to ask him the question, John, what was it like on the moon? Right. What was it? What was it like on the moon? I'm this new astronaut and I'm like this little kid listening. What is he going to say? And he says, like in this this sort of drawl that he had, he says, well, Mike, I tell you, the best thing about getting on a moon is you can finally take a shit. <laughs> now, we're okay to say that on your podcast, right? Because Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, right, please, so, please. No, we so encourage like, it. What? <laughs> and he, what he went on to say was that, you know, that you're in school. You don't know what it's like getting in space, you know, where you're floating around and, and you can't go, you know, because your digestive <laughs> is all messed up. And you finally get on the moon and that one six gravity is just enough so you can let loose. Okay, so that's one impression of it. The other one that I was going to tell, and for some reason I got distracted by my John Young story, was Alan Bean. And and John Young has got a lot of very meaningful quotes. But uh, Alan, you like that story? Yeah, that's true. I do. I do. do. There's a lot of. I have more questions. I have more questions questions about that story. But tell the Alan Bean story. When Alan Alan came back, Alan came back with the more with a, a different impression. What he said about being on the moon, you know, looking around, he, he, he missed people and he missed the earth. And that when he got back to, he said, there's no, there's no weather on the moon. There's no erosion. There's no wind. There's no rain. There's nothing. So he says he came back and I'm kind of like this too. I don't complain about the weather. There's no weather in space and being around crowds. He missed people. Like he, the first thing he did is say, after being on such a desolate place was coming back to earth and go, he went to a shopping mall just to sit around and look at people. So I think what the experience does is that, it, at least for me, and I think for others, it doesn't necessarily make you want to go. I mean, I do want, I'd love to go back again. What it really does is it makes you appreciate planet earth. I mean, even walking around the city, it's, it's unbelievable what we, what we've built and what we've done and looking at people. So I think it, you can, you can look at it different ways, but I, I think we go to space in a lot of ways to discover how good it is we have it here on earth. Can I ask a quick follow-up to taking a shit on the moon, which yeah, is, which is <laughs> yeah. you mentioned in the I could, book. I didn't know what to say when he told me that. Okay. You mentioned in the book yeah. no. that, that no. uh, the drinking water on the yeah. space shuttle was in a large oh, yeah. part a product of like the fuel cell, Correct. you know. Yep. But you said on the International Space Station, right. there is a fair amount of the water you're drinking, which is recycled urine. And that caught yeah, my eye. Yeah. And yep. I was like, I didn't know you could do that. And and uh, if I do get, you know, stranded, you know, in a, in a little boat in the ocean, is that an option for me? Or well, what's sure. your take no. on this? 
Okay. Well, no. Listen. By the way, there's people who just there's people who just drink their urine, Steve. Oh, I mean, there are people okay, who okay. just do that. Oh yeah. Not there under emergency situation. We don't need to talk about that, but okay. there are people who do it as a health thing. But anyway, please. Yeah. No, I don't know that. I can't comment on. I wouldn't do it. But uh, but on the space station, and oh, it's it's clean, it's purified, so it's cleaned and it's purified over and over and over again. So that when you drink it, you're not drinking urine, you're drinking water. And water. it's not just the urine, it's also your sweat. You know, anything in the air, Amazing. Your, sweat, your 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 dirty underwear, you know, that's gonna dry out. All that, all that moisture, you know, gets gets taken up by the air conditioner and recycled. So my friend Incredible. Don Pettit says, uh, today's coffee is to, uh, to, uh, today's coffee is tomorrow's coffee. So that, that's more or less what you think. But no, it's purified. Don't in, don't encourage your, your listeners to go out there and get No, no, yeah. no, no, that's, no. Thank you. Thank no. you. Thank you. Don't, we do not, not endorse. No, we, don't we do, do not endorse the drinking of no, your don't own urine. Do that. Get a machine to clean it. I don't know how you get one, but we. Well, you must get. It must be that kind of situation. It's like camping in the most extreme it form is. where you get reduced to this really like basic human stuff like this. You know what I mean? That it's like. You're in yep. close quarters with these people. Are there guys mm -hmm. who snore and stuff? Are there guys who like talk in their sleep? Are there guys who are like, yeah. I mean, is there stuff like that? <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff going on. And you're right. The base, the basic stuff is what you're worried about. The last, the last refresher piece of training you get when you go to space is how to work the toilet. <laughs> you want before you leave for the Johnson Space Center, your very last is a refresher on a toilet. And you're worried really? about being regular. Let me get myself. Are you worried about being I, regular? That's I all these that. things you're worried about. How am I going to yeah. sleep? Do I, you know, let me get my my sleep pattern set. Let me get myself. In yeah, totally. All that the stuff. The sleep but, thing must be crazy. The sleep it, thing must be real. I don't even know. You yeah. talk about sleeping mm. your first night up there, and I thought, yeah. how the hell did you even sleep? How did you must have been so exhausted? I suppose you'll sleep, but otherwise, you're, how could you go to sleep? I don't know how you could. I don't, I don't typically take uh, mm. sleep medicine, but I did my first couple of nights in space. One thing you do is you <laughs> test everything. Everything in the really? drug, you, you test all the antibiotics and right. everything, those vitamins, whatever they might have there for you in space. So I, that's what I took to help me to help me go to sleep. And as far as like people snoring and other, yeah, I mean, so people, uh, there's been, there's a bit of a controversy, like, do you snore, you don't snore? But snoring apparently can can occur in space because I was yeah, told. Yeah, you would snoring. you would hope that your astronaut wouldn't have sleep apnea. You would hope that that would get screened no, out. I, but yeah, but, I don't. I don't. Yeah, you try. Plus, if you have something like that, you keep it quiet when you're an astronaut. You don't want him coming. Oh no! Now you can't fly in space. You stay away from like, the doctor. I hadn't snores. gone like I was. Every every medical every you know physical was a threat. That's the way we looked at it. So hey, I, I want to ask yeah, you about that too because you yeah. you talk yeah. about this in the book. And I was think as I was reading, I was thinking your your story is like a story of the triumph of like human willpower. Because you ever see that movie Gattaca? Like there's this film called Gattaca. It's a science fiction yeah. film. I think Ethan Hawke is in it. It's old, but it holds up mm -hmm. pretty good. Yeah. He wants to go to space, but he's not genetic. He doesn't fit this perfect genetic yeah, yeah, profile. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like the future. So he has to overcome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, and yeah. I felt like you had like problems with your eyes. You're really mm -hmm. tall. Mm -hmm. And you said you're afraid of heights. And you just yeah. like slowly, methodically overcame all of these like challenges. And I, that's kind of the impressive thing too, is it just teaches you like, yeah, don't don't go away when they tell you to go away. Keep yeah, don't, keep coming. Yeah, so I had a, a I started applying when I was in grad school. Once I had the minimum qualifications, and I got rejected outright the first time. Got a letter back saying no thanks. 
Um, I waited a couple more. And so every time NASA would announce, I would try. I would send a, submit an application. I got rejected outright the second time. The third time I got an interview. Uh, and uh, that, that included going there for a week with other candidates and going through medical exams uh, and, and selection board interview, their social events. They get to know you very well, right? And they got to know me very well, and then they rejected me is what happened. But the reason they rejected me, <laughs> their excuse for that time was uh, I was I was medically disqualified, right? So so at that, I failed the eye exam, and you had to see, these are this is all different now. Now I think they even accept LASIK if it's stabilized. I don't even know if LASIK existed back then. This is the mid-1990s now. So back then you had to see pretty well, and I couldn't see well enough, and they did not uh, accept any of the medical procedures to improve eyesight. That was totally disqualifying for life. And once you're once you're disqualified, it's like you're, you actually take your your folder of all these applications that have been accumulating and updates, and they put disqualified on the oh, front shit. of it, and they won't even read it anymore. You know, <laughs> that's it, done. Wow. We're not going to read read that yeah. application anymore. So I was pretty disappointed because I felt like, well, I should at least be able to try. And uh, I found out about something called vision training, which was to do exercises to try to improve your eyesight. And I made, there was a doctor that specialized in this and he was Desiree Hopping. And so I make an appointment in Houston to go see her and I'm sitting there in the chair and she walks in and she's like kind of startled. And she said, she goes, you're here for vision training? And I said, yeah, I'm here to get, you know, I'm here to see better. And she says, uh, I go, what's the matter? She goes, well, I don't know if it's gonna work. I'm like, well, why not? She says, cause it only works with kids. I'm never, you know, because <laughs> oh, kids' eyes Oh, wow. Just, you know, they're like still, their eyes oh. are still forming. Their eyes developing she's, still. Oh. Yeah, she's never had a, a, a patient over 10 years old. And I'm like, I get, Dr. Hobbing, I can be the most immature patient you ever had. <laughs> you would not know that I begged her. And she helped me. It was almost like a mind trick. You're trying to, like, if you think yes. of something's like five foot in front of you and then it goes to 10 feet, your, your, your focus changes, right? So with this, uh, with this training, you're trying to focus beyond the object, which is kind of weird, but you try to yeah. look beyond it and it comes into, it comes into focus. So it's almost like a, a make training your mind to do something that has no usefulness except to try to get through an wow. eye. Wow. So, That's it amazing. And, and it's entirely, it's just musculature. You're just practice. You're, that's all it is. It's just practice. It's nothing technical. There's no devices. There's nothing. No. It's the, all you just doing. It's willpower. The, the only the only device thing was she gave me undercorrected lenses. So she gave me uh, lenses that would allow force my eyes to work a little bit harder, um, mm -hmm. but still not you know be a be a problem when yes, I was driving. Yes, I'm looking back at that. It might have been dangerous. I was undercorrected. <laughs> And then I did these Probably exercises super dangerous. And, and it worked. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I got a yeah. question related to this. This mm -hmm. has to do with like an area that you do research in that's sort of adjacent I, to your. I was just going to ask you this. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, I was like, just say this. we know that you do work on like human machine interface and yeah. there's this new stuff like uh, Elon Musk's company Neuralink, where they're sort of implanting mm -hmm. a chip in the brain. And I, I believe if I'm understanding this right, like if you have somebody maybe who was wounded on the battlefield and maybe their legs aren't working. The the goal of this technology is to sort of help you re like sort of bypass the injured part of the brain or the muscle mm -hmm. so that you can then think you want to move your legs and then your legs move. And there's other stuff like this. And I'm just wondering, are, are you, are you looking at this material now? Because with the, with the onset of AI and stuff and what are your yeah. opinions on it? Well, that sounds pretty cool. If you could help people with who are, you can yeah. help people with problems. 
Uh, I think it sounds pretty, pretty cool. I don't know it's much creepy about it. too, though. It's, I, it's, I think if, if it's going to improve and, and, you know, in my case, uh, you know, what was a better solution is they changed the standards for vision because it really wasn't <laughs> really make, it easy. So make, make the test easier, <laughs> make the test. which is, uh, what they did. Um, but I think that all this stuff, I think as we, I think whatever new technology comes in, whatever it is and what you're describing sounds pretty crazy. But if it's going to help people live their lives and live happy lives, why not? You know, if that's what it's going to be, if it's, if it's going to help people get around who can't normally, then then sure, let's, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. And now, a message from our sponsor. And now, more Chinwag. The field you were working in, though, I, if I'm, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, though, and I think when you were mm -hmm. doing your engineering stuff, yeah. was this area of human factor of dealing right, yeah. with something called the human factor, which I think is such a great phrase. And it's such a great, and particularly then when I read your book and <clears throat> you are such a, you're such a human guy. You're such, you're such a sort of like accessible guy. No, but it's funny. I was like, how Thank great you. that that's what this guy was doing. That yeah. it's like he was, but what does it mean exactly? Cause it's, it's super interesting to me. Well, I appreciate what you're saying. You guys are both being very kind. The, uh, but what interested me about it, when I was in engineering school, I took a human factors engineering class, and it was considering the human as part of your design. We design a lot of things in life as engineers. Uh, you know, we, we people come up with with discoveries or inventions, but it, but to, to be used by people. And so you have to consider the people in your design. And most, I think a lot of, I'm going to say most or not, but a lot of stuff we design isn't necessarily thought of with the to put the person yeah. first, even though it, yeah. it should be. But it's it's to me, it was taking the person as part of your design problem. And then in yeah. engineering school, when I got to grad school, it was like control systems, like trying to model how things work and then control them, whether it be a car or an aircraft or a spaceship, but now including the person inside of that. So mm. where is the, the chances for human error? How the, the pilot's going to be in control of the vehicle, let's say, how do you help that pilot do their job so there's so it's safer so they can be more efficient and and so on so those are things i thought kind of got that's what got me that's what got me interested that's in, really cool in that's, that, a, and that's, that's a I, super I fascinating it's an amazing sounding field and but did it ever shade into or does it now shade into actually conjoining the things the man and the machine like is that kind of thing happening with space flight or anything like that or is that kind of thing coming up i mean will this kind of thing be what's happening that you'll have the the two things linked more or, or something well, well i mean it's science well, fiction yes. but it's yeah it is i mean but it, it is maybe it is and it 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 is and it is in some ways it is and it always has been like for example using the robot armor on the space shuttle we're controlling mm -hmm. that i know on the space station so it's become more and more automated so we use things like the the robot arm to help with the spacewalks uh, we we have a lot of automated features now, um, so it's not. I don't know about the implant thing, maybe mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. much. And we certainly have displays that you can wear, like wearable technology, uh, you know, virtual reality for sure to help you train mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. displays of information that are you know more like a wearable technology, like on a set of glasses or goggles or so on. But nothing mm -hmm. that you put inside anybody yet that I know about. But certainly. The, the the dependence on automation again I'm not sure this is exactly what you're talking about but but like mm -hmm. the space shuttle for example I I, um, I just spoke to uh, about a month a couple months ago Jessica Watkins one of our newer astronauts just flew in space was in New York and I was talking to her and I asked her about what it was like her training as an as a newer astronaut she says when you come in as a new astronaut you don't even learn about the vehicle you don't learn about your launch vehicle you learn about how to do spacewalks and robotics and the space station 
and they, they save the vehicle for after you get a sign because now there's a few different options. So, hey, you're going to go on SpaceX and it only takes like, ah. a, it really just takes a couple of weeks and it's a lot of it's automated now. So all this automation and, and that, I don't know if that's what you consider of human and machine. No, it's all addressing the area that's so, interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. so it allows it's, people with, who aren't, you know, who don't have the time, less training even for professional astronauts to go to space, which is a great thing. Can I? It, 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 no, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to just sort of like uh, you, this talk about the pilots that you know and mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you're an astronaut. I have to ask this question. It's something that Paul and I are interested in, but you know, you know a lot of pilots that have spent a mm -hmm. lot of time sort of in these really unique flight situations. Mm -hmm. And now there's an explosion of interest in UFOs. <laughs> you knew this was coming. I was waiting and, for right, it. Yeah. yeah. And so we're, I am sort of interested in. Yeah. Like, what do you make of this? Because there's like an increasing um, credibility uh, that seems to be surrounding it. I don't know if it's legit or not, but it's like guys are coming forward who are pilots who are then saying we're whistleblowers and that we have crafts. And I'm just wondering, what do you make of all the, the new interest in UFOs? Well, I think it's a cool thing. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the basic questions I think we've had is, are we alone? And I don't think we are. I do think that there's life elsewhere. Um, and we can, we can talk about that too. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I think these claims about, we have like a, an alien craft. I think they, some of the, it's like a non-human spacecraft, like, well, where is this thing? Right. You know, we, you know, it. be, you know right. who are these people? You know, the, oh, I've heard all these stories. Well, where are these people telling you these stories? Where is the proof? And I think that's the thing that's seems to be lacking is real evidence of this. And I think that's what, that's what I, I'm looking for is, I mean, we don't know what this, people, you know, the UFO sightings are seeing things. There's a lot of things flying around our planet now. There's drones, there's all kinds of stuff. You may see something or they may see something, they don't know what it is, but it doesn't mean it's ET coming to visit. You know, it, it, we don't, mm. don't have that proof. Is the government covering something up? I don't know. It, it, I mean, I, we've learned it, out, we've learned so many secrets yeah. about things are going on. I, you, you would think yeah. that, that, how could they keep that really quiet? So. Uh. I, yeah. I, I, but I do think that what Hubble, the missions that I had working on the Hubble Space Telescope, it showed us that there are millions of, billions of galaxies with billions of stars in each one of those, most of which have multiple planets uh, mm -hmm. orbiting them, that they're, to think that we're the only place where life right. exists, I think that's highly unlikely. And what I think is also exciting is that there was a, an article that came out recently about one of the moons, moons of Saturn, and we are sending spacecraft to the moons of Jupiter there may be signs, not necessarily of life, but at least the building blocks of life in our solar system. So I think as we're learning more, I think we're going to see signs of the possibilities of, of life much closer than where we, we thought it could be. I think we will make contact if there are, there are other beings we can, we can reach. But unfortunately, I don't think that that's happened yet, yeah. but, I, the, but hopefully the, it'll happen. The claim of this ship that the guy saw that was, you yeah. know, bigger inside than it was outside and oh. that it was giving off this crazy yeah. time warping thing. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, if they had that, where the hell are they? I mean, it sounds like it's going to like create a, a punch a black hole in the planet. I mean, like, how is it? How, how are they? How are they keeping that from causing the entire space time continuum to get? I mean, it just sounds I mean, too the aliens outlandish. know what they're doing, Paul, man. They have some force so. field yeah, around it. Do we it, know what we're doing? Like, well, how would we know what to do with this? thing like that i mean if that thing's landed and it's actually bending the space-time continuum like how the fuck do we know like yeah. how to protect the rest of us like i mean just yeah. it's too it's too outlandish that it claim but it I doesn't mean, add up it doesn't add no, up and I, and, yeah 
Well, do you yeah, think no, it's, it's do you think some of these crafts might be just uh, foreign foreign tech? Like maybe there's a Russian or a Chinese uh, device that that's what we're seeing, and it's just top secret. Is that is you that you a mean better the sightings? You mean yeah, like some the, of these the like little tic tac sightings, or even the yeah. yeah. It could be classified aircraft. It could if, be our if, stuff. If, who knows what it is? Uh, yeah. There is a lot of stuff flying around our planet. Um, I saw it th- when I was in space. I saw micrometeorites. I saw satellites. Oh. You know, you see different weather phenomenon. Um, I didn't see anything that I would say, oh, you know, that's a flying craft uh-huh. that I don't know what that is. Do but you know guys who things. did? You don't have to name names. You no, have to name I would, names. I would tell you. Know? you. No, I would tell you. No, <laughs> no. I mean, none of the other folks, you know, what... One of my buddies, I mean, NASA is part of this study, and one of my good friends, Scott Kelly, is uh, is on that panel. They're investigating these UFOs, and I saw him a couple a couple months ago and asked him, like, what's going on? My 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 you know my, my, the doorman in my building said, "Hey, what's your friend is working <laughs> yeah, right. on a phone? Yeah. Let me find out about it." <laughs> so I asked him, and he says, "You know, even like some of the accounts, when he, you start asking more questions mm. about it, it doesn't really add uh. up to much." So I think that. Uh, I think if if uh, if something came to visit our planet, we would know about it. I mean, why are they going? Mm. I mean, I would think they'd want to come to New York City and see a show. <laughs> yeah, that advance, they must have <laughs> good travel information. You know, if they're that smart, they're going to want to come sure. and go to a ball game. They're not going to land down in the middle of nowhere and bother a bunch That's of kids. That's true. Make a know? crop yeah. circle somewhere. Yeah. And, and yeah. we need, we need, we need evidence. If you, if you get these folks who get picked up by these things or whatever it is, and I don't mean, you know, make light of what they're, what they're seeing or whatever, but. Come back with some evidence. You know, if the, if the aliens let you go, ask them. Ask them if there's a gift shop on the spaceship. Can <laughs> I get some, something? You know, or steal people, yeah. something. You know, grab wow. and Listen, you know, grab some. Yeah. So we need it's some. Whole, we need some evidence. It's true. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I was, but um, here's a question: Why mm-hmm. haven't we been able to put a guy more easily on the moon in 50 years? We did this crazy slingshotting a tin can at the moon, and it worked back then. Yeah. And it's almost like it's harder now, or something. And it's it's really it's it's interesting. Is it harder? Yeah. Is it actually kind of more challenging in a funny way? It's it's uh, it's harder because the the goal is to go there and stay. It's mm. so to go there for a visit. It's just like going on a trip. You know, you can go on a trip somewhere for a day or two and you pack a bag and you come home. But if you're going to relocate to an area and stay there and there's no water or food or shelter or anything like that, you're going to have to fend for yourself. That's a much more involved process. That's going to take a lot more to do, especially at a place like the moon. So that's part of it. It's, it is tougher to, to go and stay, but it's also a government program primarily. And I think that now funding. You know, we have taxpayers dollars and they're not yeah. going to, you know, NASA, I think, has always been funded well. Everyone's always complaining they don't have enough money in general. People are like, you always use more cash. But uh, I think we've always been supported well at NASA, Not, but not to do everything that they'd want to do with the private industry coming in there with SpaceX and all these other companies getting involved and the funding that they've been able to raise with help from the government as well, helping them do these things. I think now it's making it possible to, to seriously go back. They have a... Yeah announced to go back to the moon i'm excited yeah, for i saw way. those guys recently is there is it a different this privatized space programs and stuff now in terms of just the, the the astronauts experience is it different now is it is it a different world for astronauts is it different kinds of folks doing it is it a different relationship to their job you know is it like a different thing it doesn't have the romance of nasa to it you know it's like is it is it more of a job job or is it like what's different about it 
I, I think the the job for the government astronauts, we've talked about NASA and ESA, the, the Italian guys and the Japanese. If you're a government astronaut, I think your job is, is changed because there's different technology. But it's a job. <laughs> you know, like the, the astronaut job when I had, it was a job. It's a job. You know, you, yeah. you know I, spent, I spent 18 years at NASA, 26 days in space. So most of right. it was on the ground, either training, <laughs> right. working in the control center. It was a job, late nights, missing holidays, amazing. you know, working that's in amazing. a control center, missing all kinds of things. It's a job. And uh, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, that's that's exactly what it was. And so it wasn't this. And that's one of the things we look for. We were selected because you got to be able to work hard. Just like, you know, what you guys do too, it requires work. People think it's, yes. you know, oh, climbers in front. You got to go to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And to sacrifice everything. So that's, it was a job. And I still think it's, but as far as the the career goes, um, I was speaking to some of the newer NASA astronauts about, you know, some of the people still in the program because now you have Captain Kirk flying and private <laughs> astronaut and everybody's an astronaut <laughs> now, right? So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a problem years ago because NASA, NASA said, no, these people are actually yeah, no way. Guys, <laughs> not. And we had some, there weren't paying customers that flew with the Russians. Right. And they, NASA was still giving out names back then. So they called those folks space flight participants. Oh. That's what they called those folks. Cause right. But now everyone's an astronaut, you know, Jeff Bezos <laughs> is handing out astronaut wings. Some guy came up to me at a, at a Explorers Club thing. <laughs> and he was one of these guys that went up on Blue Origin, like Captain Kirk, you know, like William Shatner. Yeah, yeah. And he says, where are your wings? And he's showing me his cufflinks that he got made. <laughs> oh, I would have punched wings. this guy. And I looked, no, I looked at my wife, I'm like, they not got any wings. Why don't we get any? <laughs> like, you know, to oh, get no, the wings. Thing, but wings? I had to, who, what do you mean who gets them? I never got any. They gave us a name tag, you know, with the little wing thing. I'm like, I need some more jewelry. Because I never got any yeah. wins from NASA. You, you should yeah, have Buzz Aldrin, that guy. I think it's just different categories. I think you can look at like three things. So one is like, how did you get there? You know, did you go through a selection mm -hmm. process with a government or with whatever that, however mm -hmm. you got there? And what was your mm -hmm. training like? Mm -hmm. And then what did you do in space? And so I think there's mm -hmm. probably the way we're going to settle down is there'll be different categories. You'll have yeah. kind of government professional astronauts. Then you're going to have, I think, commercial astronauts too which will have a, mm -hmm. I don't know, they'll get hired by a company to go to space. They're already doing stuff like that. So uh, I think it's going to be private astronauts, commercial astronauts, tourists, you know, just like right. don't get on an airplane, but only a couple of people are actually flying it. We're not all pilots, right? We're <laughs> doing different things yeah. there. So, so I think there's going to maybe be different categories of it, but for those who want it as a career, uh, who want to do it either, you know, for the government or for now, the new thing is that now I think you can do that as a profession, even for a company. Or if you want to do it as an experience, yeah. like Captain Kirk, you know, I keep calling him Captain Kirk, you know, uh, William Shatner. <laughs> sorry. He's always going to be know, Captain Kirk. I can't, yeah. Sorry, I can't get that out of my head. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Makes sense. I, so I think like that's that's going to be there. But there's also part of it that is that it opens ah. up opportunities for more things to go up to. My, my students at Columbia have flown two experiments in space, one on a Blue Origin rocket and another one on the space station, went up on the on the SpaceX. Oh, cool. And then came back down. It was a biomedical experiment. These are my students right. at, a, at a college. That's amazing. You would never be able to do that even five years ago, but they were able to do That's that. That's amazing. Years ago. So it's opening up the opportunities for people to go to do different things that we wouldn't do as government. Like one of the one of the private missions raised awareness for St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Like we couldn't do that with the government. We're not allowed to to do endorsements or to promote things, even if it's for a charity. You're not allowed to do that with the government, but but private private citizens can do that. So I think it's overall a, a, a good thing. We just have to figure out how we want to be called. <laughs> so you know, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you know. 
Everyone's an astronaut. Yeah. Now what's, no, you are the no, real I astronaut. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's a similar yeah. thing again with acting. It's like, you know, wait yeah. a minute. You're right. not really an actor. How are you calling exactly. yourself an actor? <laughs> right. Yeah, I did a couple cameos. Paul, well, I'm an actor. Right. What the, <laughs> you were on the I big bang. Yeah, what? <laughs> I get the screeners. <laughs> I'm an actor. I'm an actor, Fantastic. too. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I. Uh, this is my last comment for you. I want to thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it's been great. But I think it's really cool because that you were listening to Radiohead like at nighttime because oh, I'm a big yeah. fan of that band and yeah, you were great. listening yeah. to them in space that's really cool yeah just, no it's been we've gotten to know them too my uh, my kids were big Radiohead fans they still are and I've gotten to know Ed O'Brien the guitar player has become awesome. a friend and uh, that's what I get to talk to you guys too see it's so great being an astronaut yeah <laughs> to meet all kinds of cool people we wouldn't be here if I was just you know doing whatever I was no, doing no it's listen so it opens I can't up believe all I, kinds of opportunities I yeah. can't believe we got to meet an astronaut yeah. yeah and you just it's so it's so cool thank you so thank much thank you for very much Mike. Pleasure. Appreciate thanks for having it. you guys really a pleasure thank and like I say your your book is is really awesome it's yeah, a really great it. book thank, about thank you, the whole experience yeah thank you thank man you. thank you you bet thank you okay thanks again you guys See you, yeah, Paul. see you. Bye. Chinwag is a production of Treefort Media and Touchy Feely Films, hosted and executive produced by Paul Giamatti and Stephen Asma. Executive producers for Treefort are Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman. Dan Carey is executive producer for Touchy Feely. Our series producer is Rachel Whitley Bernstein. Our associate producer is Andrew Miller. Original theme music by Luke Topp, with additional music by Via Mardot. Oscar Guido is our executive in charge of production. Tom Monahan is head of audio for Treefort. Animation created by Alex Sokol. Audio production, supervision, and editing by Maxwell Carney. Additional audio assistance and mixing by Jeff Neal. With additional production management from Renee Levesque. Clara Wong is Celestial Empress of Benevolent Knowledge. Lastly, for more information, go to chinwagpod.fm and find us on Instagram or TikTok at chinwagpod or on Twitter at chinwag underscore pod. Chinwag.